Now, as we get into the message tonight, again, it was taught to be a family message, and I want to make sure that all of us, and some of you here tonight may not have a family. It's totally fine. You may have some family in the future, a future family that you don't know about. Some of you, you know, you may think it'll never happen. You don't know, and you may have the opportunity to mentor somebody in the future or work with someone in the future. We don't know what the future will bring. Some of you may be dating, and you're just thinking of how it will be to have a family at some point. Some of you may be like me, and you just got out of that phase, and you're kind of moving into the adult years with the children, which is obviously different, and some of you are even a step further down the road um, than I am at that. You say you're older. I'm not saying that anymore. Uh, So you make sure we're heading down that path towards just getting older and working things out and making the most of life. But we're going to talk a little bit about making the most of each stage of life this evening. So as we make the most stage and have all these different things, I want all of us to understand what that may look like. Because there's a quote that many of you have heard, but it is true, especially looking back. The days are long, but the years are short. How many people never thought that was true when you are in grade school, looking at, I feel like every school in the world has that same clock, right? The black uh, clock with the white face and the hand moves at half speed around like that, especially when you're in some class you don't like and you would look at that. Anybody remember that right there? No one? Like five of us? Okay, the rest of you are either liars or you were sleeping and don't remember that right there. But you never thought that then, especially in the summer when you, or summer school. No, I didn't go to summer school. But some of you remember right before you're heading into summer, you look outside and it was so nice outside. But the days are long, but the years are short. This can be challenging. And when you're in the middle of a stage, sometimes it's very easy to get caught up in the difficulty of that stage and to not enjoy it. I don't know what stage you're in tonight, but hopefully you can find some way to make the most out of that stage and really enjoy it. I know that some people always are looking ahead to the next stage. If you're a driven person, maybe you have these high aspirations, every single time you're in one stage, you want to conquer it and move to the next one. Anybody else in here ever done that before? Man, as soon as I get through this stage, I'm going to the next stage. And pretty soon, life is about three-fourths over, you're in your 50s, maybe 60, and you think, I missed out on my 20s, my 30s, maybe my 40s. And you see these people trying to recapture their youth. You ever seen those people when you go to a shopping mall, you go somewhere else, and they look like they're trying to recapture their 20s or 30s? How many of you look at those people and think, man, I want to be like that someday? Anybody? I didn't think so. So let's not make that our target. Let's enjoy each and every stage that we have now. So what are some of these stages? If some of you right now, you're in the grade school stage or even the middle school or high school stage, but we're going to start with the dating stage. The dating stage right here. This is where you get in a relationship, and as you're in that relationship, you do something called dating. What is dating? Dating is pretending to like things that you don't really like in order to gain the interest of the other person. Isn't that pretty much what it is? Oh, you like birds? I love birds. I look at birds all the time. You see birds as you're driving down the road. You don't know what kind of birds. You don't care. But then you open your phone or you go home and try to study about a few birds because you can talk intelligently. Do you really care about birds? No, you care about the person you're talking to. Oh, you love flowers? I love to walk through fields with flowers. No, you don't. It's called dating. I could just sit and look at you and talk for hours. 
And you think that. Then you get married and you think, oh, what in the world happened here? How fast can I eat my food? And you check your phone and you're distracted. Dating is a wonderful stage. Now, there are frustrations with dating. But if you're in this stage, I would strongly encourage you to find something you can enjoy about dating. Enjoy the process of connection. Enjoy the process of finding common interests together. Enjoy the process of developing a bond. And soak it up. Don't just rush through dating so you can get to the next stage. Enjoy that stage. Enjoy each and every hurdle of that stage and challenge that stage. Embrace it. Don't rush through that. If you rush through this too much, you're going to deprive yourself of something, and then one day you're going to realize, I deprived myself, and you're going to try to go back and recapture it. This can be hurtful if you ever get down the road and you rush through the stage and you're in a relationship at some point. Oh, I never got to go out and meet anybody else or date. Now's your chance if you're not married. Enjoy that. Get it out. Get it done. Enjoy it. Now, are there any frustrations with dating? Yes, there are. But can you soak up the positives of dating? I think you can. What's the next stage that we have? Married with no kids. Now, I understand that if you're married with no kids, you really think you're really busy and you're really sacrificial. And I'm not mocking you, but enjoy the freedom and expendable income that you have. Because when you're married with no kids, you now have a partner to enjoy life with and do that. Build a strong foundation with the partner that you're married to before you have children. And I know you say, man, let's hurry up and have kids. Whenever you have children, enjoy that. But every day that you get to be married with no kids should be some experience that you can enjoy together. Because even though you think you're busy, when you go to the next stage we're going to talk about, I promise it'll be more challenging. And if you think that you and your partner are just going to make everything happen and you're going to coexist better once you have kids, kids will test you in ways you did not know you could be tested. Now, kids are amazing most of the time. So please, if you're in this stage right here, enjoy it. If you get a chance to spend an afternoon together, do it. If you get a chance to go out and get a coffee together, do it. If you get a chance to go take a walk and just enjoy the spontaneity of those things. You can come home. My, my wife and I, we were dating. We'd come home and say at the end of a work, you know what, let's just go and drive somewhere for five hours. We could do it. There wasn't anything holding us there. We didn't have to worry about any children. We could just go do things. And when we took a trip or something else, there was only two of us. You may think, well, Yes, one, two, I understand, but wait till the next stage. Enjoy this stage. How many of you, be honest, how many of you have been married with no kids and you thought that money was tight and time was tight at this stage when you were there? Now, how many of you realized once you went to the next stage, which was with kids, you realized that was laughable? Anybody but me? Got that, okay. So if you're in the married with no kids, enjoy that stage. Now, what is the next stage we're going to talk about? Married with kids. 
Now, as you're married with kids, this is an unbelievable stage. But I promise you, as magnificent as it is, there will be challenges. Now, if you had kids that when you brought them home from the hospital, now, first of all, let me say this. The weight of having a child that was going to be mine was huge. My wife was excited about it. I was excited, but I was also like, this is going to be unbelievable. How am I going to do this? I do remember when the hospital told us, can you go pull the car up? I was like, this is going to be great. You go, you get the car seat situated just right. You go to the front entrance. They're wheeling their wife out. She's holding that baby. I remember I was so proud of it. Go around, open that door, put the baby in the back seat. My wife sat in the back seat too so she could look at it. I could see my wife in the rearview mirror. And I still remember putting my hand on the gear stick, ready to shift in the drive, looking in the rearview mirror and realizing the hospital's making a big mistake. They're sending me home with this child. I have no idea what I'm doing. And I had a moment of panic. I wanted to run back in the hospital and say, you guys need to check your sanity. You're sending me home with this baby. I have no idea how to raise this child. Are you sure you're not making a mistake? It was terrifying. And I remember the first night, though, that we thought our baby was going to be just unlike any other baby. And when we take the baby home, we're going to just love and hug this baby. We're going to kiss this baby goodnight. We're going to pray over this baby. We're going to put the baby in the bed, and then it's going to what? Yeah, it's amazing. Sleep. I went to hold the baby. I remember holding uh, my first David, and we're sitting there, and he was looking so just peaceful and serene, and we put David down, and we thought this is going to be unbelievable. And I know all these people now, you have the immaculate crib, and you have all these things. The first night, my wife's like, we can't put them all the way in the other room in the crib. And I said, that's fine. And I know this is probably going to get me in trouble, but I went and got a Rubbermaid tote container and put a few things in there, and the kids slept in the room. You know what he did? He did just fine. Um, so some... Some of you are judging me right now. <laughs> well, we put him down. He was sleeping. And my wife, I remember kissing her and saying, honey, this is magical. And it was for about 13 minutes. <laughs> At about 2 a.m., it was not magical anymore. At about 3 a.m., I was ready to call the hospital and say, I think we got the wrong kid. Some of these people will say, I don't know what to do. We have to wake our baby up in the morning. Now, I would never do this, but I have to admit, a couple times when that's happened, I wanted to not actually, but in my head, figuratively, I wanted to slap you and say, what happened? Because my kid never did that. My kids woke up. Did any of your kids, when you brought them home, they just slept through the night all the time? You might not want to raise your hand, because I may hold a grudge. People say all the time, oh, my kid just sleeps for 10 hours. I forget about them. Okay, my kids must have wanted my love more than yours. And they must have wanted to make sure that I was connected to the Lord and got up in the middle of the night to pray. Because that's not what happened. But if you're at the stage of marriage with the kids, we're going to recircle back and we're going to talk about that group a little more this evening. Then you're at the stage I just entered, which is empty nesters. As you have this stage here, this is an adjustment. We are making the adjustment. Some of you are better adjusted to this than we are. Now, we'll talk a little bit about what this transition, a little bit tonight about this. But I will say from the experience I've had, not personally, but talking to other people, when you have been intentional as parents, 
And when you've had a target as parents, and you've done your best to pour yourself into that child, this stage here can be more rewarding. And we've done our best, not perfect, we've done our best to make that happen so that when we do get to this stage, which we are right now, we don't have regret and we don't have that emptiness and the void of, I wish I could go back. I've talked to plenty of people who have and have warned me and admonished me, please don't do that. So I try to squeeze every bit out of that married with kids stage. And I'm encouraging you, if you're in the married with kids stage, please do that. If you're in the empty nest stage, let me ask you this. Make sure, and we're trying to do this too, that you really work on being there for your spouse. Everyone handles it differently. What it is for us may be different than you. But it's really strange to all of a sudden go home and realize when we eat, we get to eat together. And it's just the two of you and talk. And if you don't have a friendship, it can be pretty lonely. But if you do have a friendship with your spouse, it can be pretty spectacular. So as you head into these stages, let's not cheat a stage and rush through a stage. And once you get out of it, then turn around and say, oh, I want to go back to that stage. Reminisce, yes. Reflect, absolutely. Look back fondly with memories. I would encourage you to. But longing to go back and recapture, let's not. The last stage is the retired stage. And I'm not there yet. Some of you are in that stage. Now, when you're in that stage, you get to then use your wisdom and experience to help those around you. You still get to be useful and guide and mentor and help many other people. When you're in this stage, obviously a strong bond of friendship, and I see some of you with that. And you challenge me and my wife to make sure we're heading down that same path. To be committed, loving partners to each other for life. That's a goal that I hope to aspire to. But one thing that you've heard of, but I'd like to encourage you to use, is premature nostalgia. How many people are familiar with premature nostalgia? This is the definition. Reflect on past memories to rekindle the desire to enjoy your current stage. You go to the next slide, please. So once you do this right here, this is what I want you to do. Reflect on those past memories. This is where, even tonight, if you're in a stage, go back. If you're married with no kids, talk about your dating. And then look ahead to what you'll miss someday if you're in the middle of one. I remember my wife and I, getting ready to go to bed, and all three of our boys shared a room. So, man, I think, I don't know if Dave was in high school or college, we had empty bedrooms in our house, but we wanted our kids to share a bedroom and to coexist together and not have a ton of stuff and interact. And actually went to Dave, maybe he's in high school, I lose track of those years, and said, hey, you can now move into another room. And he said, no, 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 I'm, I'm good. Let me just share the room with my brothers. And we remember so many nights sitting in our room, hearing them laugh and joke and talk together. It was music to our ears. And now we can reflect back on all those nights with fondness. 
Now, there was some nights, and if you don't do this, it's your call. But our kids sometimes would wake up in the middle of the night, come in, and want to jump into our bed in the middle of the night. Now, if you've never had that happen before, it's amazing and terrible all at the same time. And it's amazing how small of a child can take up the majority of the bed. I don't know how that happens. And they look so cute until they get in the bed and they start kicking you, and pretty much you're sleeping on about three inches of the bed. You ever done that before, and the kid has the majority of it? And you, you wonder what's going on? But my wife was so frustrated one night, we woke up, and she's like, man, I can't get a good night's sleep. But I told her, at some point, you're going to look back and wish they were still at the age where I could do this. She said, I don't think I ever will. A few weeks ago, she said, I missed that stage. How many of you that are out of maybe the young kid stage can remember back to where every single dinner, there was a spill at dinner? I don't know how, how many days in a row. It wasn't 10. It was, it was like 50 or more. I don't know how they managed to spill every time, every single dinner. I remember reflecting at one point, guys, we haven't had a spill at dinner. And I think as they were cheering, we had no spill at dinner. One of them had a spill. And... If we were getting ready to come to church, my middle son Pete would find some way to get something on a shirt or tie every single time. Every time. I remember we were sitting there at a restaurant once on the way that met him for church on Wednesday night, went back and met him, meet him, and Pete was there, and I'm like, Pete, please be careful, don't get anything on your shirt or tie. Okay. About five minutes later, Dave looks at him and says, Pete, how'd you do that? Pete looks down, how'd that get there? <laughs> it's a mystery. I remember one time Pete was groggy, getting ready to come back for church on a, on a Sunday night. Picking on Pete because he's not here. So I remember picking on there. But we were getting ready to walk out the door, and Pete was standing there. I said, Pete, you ready to go? Are you sure you're ready to go? So his brothers were giggling and laughing. I said, all right, let's go. So Pete walks out to the car and almost got in the car and then got a really surprised look on his face and ran back in the house because Pete had forgotten to put his pants on. All right, so... Brother Ed asked if he was 18. That's because Brother Ed did that at 18. <laughs> but it's amazing if you right now are in a frustrated stage. Think ahead to a time when you will miss a stage you're in so you can enjoy it. As you're in this dating stage, think when you're older and you can look back on this dating stage with fondness. If you're married with no children, man, think, you know what, there's going to time. We can just pick up and do whatever we want. If you're with young children, think of the amazing responsibility it is to be a parent and to invest in these kids and pour your heart and sacrifice into them. If you're in the empty nest stage, just think, man, this is the time we have energy and vitality. We get to help the people around us, and we get to try to help our children as they're adults and be a friend to them. If you're in the retired years, just look ahead to passing on. I don't know what else to tell you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so it's your retirement years. Think of I get to absorb 
my spouse, with a lifetime of memories together. Even at this stage, my wife has been married almost 30 years. Who else can reflect on 30, counting our dating, 33 years of memories together? Think of how many shared experiences we have. That should be the fabric for a strong relationship. My wife had this next kind of a quote statement on her phone years ago, but I still remember it. Your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you rear. That challenged me. Some of us aspire to accomplish great things. I'm not criticizing you for that. But if my greatest accomplishment can be my three boys and what they accomplish, that's far more important than what I accomplish. I don't want to minimize being a parent. I want to maximize being a parent. And if you're in this stage, I want to encourage you to realize the magnitude of that responsibility. Look at a couple verses. We read the first four, but we'll look at these. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You hear that a lot. And children, if you're here, I think this is a good thing for you to do. It says, honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And yes, you should do that too. You know how to honor and respect them. That it may be well with thee, and man mightest live long on the earth. There's even incentive there for you. You even have a reason to do that. Then it says something interesting. You fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I think sometimes we don't make enough of this verse. Every parent in here needs to absorb this. It's your job to know how to correct and shape and mold your child. It is not your job to try to control, intimidate, and mishandle your child. Your job is to provoke not your children to wrath. It is not your job to exasperate them, to frustrate them with your inconsistency or your anger problems or your temper. It is your job to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You are supposed to nurture them. You are supposed to understand them so well. You know when they need correction and what type of correction. You are supposed to know what motivates and inspires them. You are supposed to know what extrinsic and intrinsic motivation they need. You are supposed to be there to say, this is what will make my child to be competent and confident. You are supposed to know what ingredients are necessary so you can bring them up just like the Lord would have you to bring them up. It's our job to know that. And if you don't have children, you can use this right here and study the people the Lord puts on your path to better influence and shape them. Now, you don't have to have any of the same targets that my wife and I had for our three boys. I wish you'd come up here and teach with me tonight. She gives great insight when we teach on this. But our goal for our boys, two of the goals for our boys, was to make them independent and confident. Now, I don't care what your target is, but I'll tell you this. You need to have a target. You need to have a goal. You need to have something you're striving and shooting for every single day and know what that looks like. Now, you can criticize my target. I don't care if you do. But I hope you have one. And I want my kids to be independent, meaning strong, and eventually secure enough to be interdependent with other people and know what that looks like. And I want them to be confident. 
I didn't want to take away all my kids' confidence so they could just look at me and say, okay, I'll defer to you 100%. I wanted to keep their spirit strong. Talking to my youngest son, Joe, last week, I asked him, I said, Joe, what is something that I did either intentionally or unintentionally as a dad that you think has helped you as you enter the adult phase of life? So we talked. He said, the number one thing I think you did is you always made me confident. And we talked about how. Now, some of the things he told me were intentional on my part, and some of them were unintentional. I don't mind talking through it. I don't want to take too much time tonight, but I don't mind talking through those some point. But I am glad now because I want each one of you in this room to be confident because you have a great potential in the Lord's eyes. And sometimes we don't allow ourselves to see it. Doesn't it say he can do exceedingly, exceeding abundantly all that we ask or think? Do you believe that? Do you believe that for your kid? Do you really believe that for yourself? Do you really? Do you put a lid on yourself? Do you put a lid on your kids? I remember years ago, I don't know which of my kids did it. could have been Dave, Peter, Joe, but we were watching a special on just the White House and what was there and the different rooms of the White House. And there was one room. I said, man, that would be a lot of history. It would be really neat to see. And I remember one of my kids looking at me and said, he goes, Dad, don't worry. When I'm president, I'll let you come and look at that room. Now, I'm glad that with a straight face, I looked at him and said, you know what, buddy? I'd appreciate that. Now, my wife and I laughed about it later. But I'm, I'm glad I didn't laugh at him then. Not that I want him to do that. That's not my goal, but I want him to believe that whatever the Lord has for him, he can achieve it. I want you to believe that too. Children are a blessing. Are you living as if you believe that? Talked to a lot of people who just tell me how to headache their children are, what a convenience their children are, how much money their children cost. Oh, my kids got this or this. I can't wait. My kids get out of the house. That's your prerogative. But I do feel sorry for your children. I don't want them to have to live that way. So as they look at this, as quickly, there's four kind of things that as you guide your children through this. That again, this isn't necessarily new to me, but it's just something. There are the discipline years of having a child. During this stage, you begin to teach your kids that there are consequences for the behavior. This is roughly zero to five years of age. This is where you need immediate, swift repercussions. Repercussions can be whatever it can be. Hey, we're not going to do that, whatever it is. But immediate, swift repercussions saying this is our discipline. And you are establishing a framework or foundation that you need to discipline yourself. And until you learn to do that, we are going to discipline you. It is not because we discipline you because you're embarrassing us. It is not because you're disciplining you because we're angry. We're disciplining you because the goal is self-discipline. So we're going to show you what delayed gratification in the area of discipline looks like. We're going to teach you. This is something you do when you're zero to five. And I, look, you can disagree with me. That is totally fine. But zero to five years is when this should happen to make the next phase much easier. If you can discipline them firmly and consistently and lovingly through these years, zero to five, it does get easier. This requires patience, love, sometimes taking a break when you're really frustrated, 
building our home. David was very little when I, I finished out some parts of our house. And I remember I was hanging the drywall. I took a break to help my wife. And I came back and he had my hammer. He was big and he was slamming his drywall. He goes, hey, David, help me. Put he holes in the drywall. I went up to my wife. I'm taking a drive. Did I take a drive? And I said, did I shut a tear and think, man, I love David? No, I didn't. I didn't say kind of things. No times I was... We had some guy come in and put tile in our bathroom. just a little bit of painting. I said, I can touch that up. So I did that. I was going to put another coat. I left it there, put, you know, put plastic on it. Told my wife, I'll go help you while I came back in. And Dave was sitting there, David, painting. He had painted all over that new tile. I took another drive. My car got a lot of miles on it. (laughs) The discipline years. Now, if you're out of this stage and you didn't do it, I would encourage you to start now. But the discipline years are crucial and important. Next to the training years. This is roughly 5 to 12. What is this? Concentrating on putting the why behind the what of your family's rules and expectations. So when you have the training years, 5 to 12, they should be disciplined enough to know, okay, self-discipline happened. Now, we were kind of a little bit crazy. Our kids were a little crazy, too. Um, as far as this is what we had, we had all this re- re- structure, and we, mo- we incentivized them to do it. We had these charts that they would do. My wife was so good at doing that for them. They get up, and they, they ran a mile, did push-ups, did sit-ups, read books, read the Bible. They could get checks, and they got all these rewards and incentives for it. I always got mad because I never got a chart. I got incentives for it. My kids did. Um, so I just didn't do any of those things. Uh, but that's what we did to the training this is where we started those charts. Say, hey, do this, do this, do this. And you tell them the why. Now, I've seen all the time when they have a little two-year-old, and they're like, no, you don't want to do that because everyone here is going to get frustrated. Now, I don't mind if you do that and you tell the child. But it's a waste of time, at two. That child's not going to say, you're right. I understand. <laughs> My wife and I were on a couple long flights last week, and there were some children who were kind of throwing a tantrum. And the parents would just sit there and talk to them now. Now, there's other people on this plane, and they don't want to hear you yell, and they're doing that. I didn't stop and think, you know what, any second, that toddler is going to think, you're right, mother, you are so right. I am just really inconveniencing and frustrating the other passengers. It's not going to happen. But 5 to 12, there should be that recognition. Put the why behind the what. Train them. This is intense. When you're training someone, it's intense. Lots and lots of role-playing. Lots of time, lots of intentionality. This gives us to the coaching years. Coaching years are roughly 13 to 18. This is where you, um, it happens a bit more through advice from the sidelines. You're not as active of a participant from the sidelines, while the relationship moves toward connecting rather than correcting. This is where you start treating that child more and more like a peer. You give them more and more independence. You allow them to make more and more decisions. Hey, what do you think you should do here? Hey, son, what do you think? What's best? Would you like to do this? Now, obviously, as they're 13, you have less guidance that way than when they're 18. But you start letting them make decisions. This is probably what I'd prefer you do. What do you think? You start asking your opinion. You're teaching them to make decisions. You're learning to coach them. You're treating them more and more with respect. You're helping them to gain more and more of an insight of, you know what, I'm becoming a man. I'm stepping into my own shoes here and understand what that looks like. This is part of parenting. As you go from the discipline years to the training years to the coaching years, you have to have intentionality and know what that looks like for you. And if you don't have a target, I encourage you to do it. 
And last, as we're heading into now, is the friendship years. You get to enjoy each other's company, process life together. Now, this is tough because now you go from coaching them to letting them ask you for help if you need it. Now, has anyone else had this before? We have to bite your tongue. Anyone else had to bite your tongue as you enter this stage? Am I the only one? There's like two people who went like this. Okay, so I guess, I don't know if that means everyone's scared to raise their hand, but this could be tough. But if you've done the previous three stages correctly, I'm hoping as we enter this, this stage here, it can be very helpful. Discover your strengths and weaknesses as a parent. Whatever your parent weaknesses are, get help, study, talk to other people, share from other people's experience. Read books. Study the Bible. Go through and read Proverbs again and again. Go through and look at all it says in there. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Look that up. See where you have. Ask your wife. Ask your husband, where are my blind spots? And if you say, I don't want to ask them that, then you've already answered the question. You don't want to grow. You need to discover your strengths and weaknesses as a parent. Attack those and grow. And if you know you're doing the best you can and you have other people around you that are criticizing you and something else, as that happened to us, it's okay as long as you're bringing them up as you would see fit if the Lord came and said, hey, what can we do here? Have regular conversations about it. You know, as you start going through these stages, it can help the helicopter parenting. Now, some people said, oh, you shouldn't helicopter parent when they're, when they're 5 to 12 in the training years. You have to be more active of a participant than they're 13 to 18. But you need to know for you what your target is, what that looks like, so you're bringing them up in the nurture and admonition, and you're not provoking them to the frustration and anger because you could provoke them to do something that's bad. Seven, seven helpful traits for panning. I'll just read these. Love, this is to be unconditional. goes without saying, I would guess, not performance-based love. Unconditional love. If you start conditionally telling your cows, I'm not proud of you. Oh, I, you disappointed me. Be careful with that. Look at what God does for us. God gives unconditional love. Next, respect. Mutual respect. Don't try to demand respect for you and start yelling, you're the boss of the home and doing that. Don't pull it out. This is where you serve them as Christ serves up us. What did he say? Son of man came not to be what? Ministered unto, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. Are we doing that? Are you really giving to your children? You know, I, read, I read a book years ago. It talked about a dad who felt convicted about the pride and how he wasn't treating his kids with respect and he inconvenienced himself. And he had his chair and he had his cup and he had his spot. And he would just tell his kids to get him a drink and how he changed that. And I tried to take that. So I, I hope this is true. You can ask my wife and my son Dave over here tonight if you want and hold me accountable to it. But I tried never, ever to say, can you go get me something? Because that's not serving them. It's me, my job is to stand up and say, what can I go get you? Don't be the dad and try to boss everyone around. Don't ever say, this is what I'm going to happen. Don't, don't do that. That's not what Christ does for us. Don't do that for your family. If you want them to respect you, you need to respect them. So serve them. Hold them accountable. Don't talk down to them or take away their self-worth. Don't talk down and say, man, you're not worth much. Don't do that. Give them respect. Next, gratitude, grateful. Our home should be a place of many thank yous, and I appreciate that. And I know many of us say, that's difficult for me to do. And I'm going to ask you 
to do something difficult. There's nothing wrong with appreciating what they do. Hey, good job taking the trash out. Man, way to help the dishes. Way to get that assignment done. Way to keep your room spotless. Man, I love when you do that. Man, thanks for hugging your mom. Thanks for doing that the way you should. I appreciate that. Man, it really pleases me. What's wrong with that? Why don't we do that more? Don't you understand that what's the appetite for them to continue going down that path? Rather than finding the one thing they didn't do and harping on it? Now, that's what I would do naturally. If I gave my kids a list of 10 things and they did nine, guess what I would be likely to do? Why didn't you do this? Do I comment on the nine first? No, and you know what? That's not something I'm proud of. We need to get better than that. Next, intentionality. Be intentional about your children. Need to learn. Don't be inconsistent and emotional. Know your target. Know your plan and work it. Be intentional. If you're not intentional, you're going to be emotional. Be intentional. Know what that looks like. You need to be more disciplined than your children. You need to have self-discipline. You need to have delayed gratification. You need to understand that your time is better invested in your children. Your resources better invested in your children. Invest in them. Make it a big deal. Make it a priority. Next, grace and forgiveness. We all want these things, but we don't want to give it. Make sure we act like our Heavenly Father and have a throne of grace. Let your home be one of grace and forgiveness. Now, is there a time to keep them accountable? Yes, I mentioned that. There's also a time for grace because, you know, as much as you want to be perfect, you're not. And when you're not, you want grace and forgiveness. And so do your children. They're going to mess up. Sometimes they're going to mess up and they're going to beat themselves up over and over and over again. And the last thing they want is for you to pile on. Sometimes they need just a hand around their back and say, you know what? It's all right. We'll figure it out. I'm proud of you. Say, but I know. Think about the time when you've done that. What did you need in that moment? And be that for them. Be flexible and work with their schedules. Help them to be involved as sacrifice for them. And teach them they also need to flex with you. You can disagree with me on this. It's your prerogative again. I don't mind. But we really tried to sacrifice for our kids and show them we're in your corner. We're there to support you. They were not an inconvenience for us. Because I've never been an inconvenience for God. As God is my father, he's always there. I can call on him whenever I want. He's always present. And as a dad, I was not always where I should be, but I worked hard to sacrifice and be there for him. For the Apostle Paul, I'll gladly spend and be spent for you. Isn't it something as parents that we should strive for to be like that? I wanted to be inconvenienced for them. And when I didn't, and it was draining, and it was tiring, and it was tough, and it was just stressful at times, now that I'm empty nester, I don't regret one of those times. You don't have to choose to do it. But what I don't want you to do is have regret when you get to a stage and you look back. I want you to soak every bit out of each stage you can. And last, set boundaries and limits. Make these clearly defined. Be as consistent as possible. 
be ready to explain the why at some point. And don't make your preferences become law because we all have that. I think it's Deuteronomy 6.19. I could look it up. But it says, and when your child come and ask you, why do we do these things? You give them an answer and you tell them why you choose to follow the Lord. That's what you need to be prepared for. You need to set boundaries. You need to set limits. And you've got to teach them to respect it. And one step at a time. But you know what? You need to follow your own boundaries and limits as well. You need to model self-discipline for them. You need to model that you are loving them unconditionally. You need to model that you are in control so they can follow suit. I know tonight hopefully it was helpful and practical. I know it was a little more teachy. I understand that. I don't apologize for that. But I hope it was beneficial and helpful. I don't know what stage you're in. I don't want to challenge you. Soak it up. Enjoy it. And when you look back, look back with fondness. Look back with joy. Look back and think, man, look at these things together. I don't know if your phone does this. My phone pops up with these memories. And then you tap it, and it goes through like two minutes of these pictures. I don't know how my phone does this, but like right now, about every day it pops up with a memory. And they're all of these memories. My kids were this little. You ever, anyone else done that? I'm the only one. Okay, one other person in here. Thank you for your engagement with me this evening. Roy Moffat raised his hand. The only thing good about Roy is he looks at his, and he doesn't remember when it happened. He's like, oh, look at that. But when those things pop up, you want to do it with enjoy. And I'm so glad because you know what is cool about all those pictures? I was there. I was involved. So I have such a deep well to draw from. As much time and money and energy as it cost me, I don't regret it. I wasn't perfect at all. But I gave all that I could. I want you to do the same. And I want to do the same in my Christian life. I want to give to the Lord all that I can. I want to pour into people all that I can. I don't want to be genuine and authentic. And I want to soak up whatever the Lord has for me in this life. And I really want to claim that he can do exceeding abundantly above anything that I ask or think. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you.